0: Welcome to Holding Down the Fort, a podcast show dedicated to curating knowledge, resources, and relevant stories for today's military spouses so they can continue to make confident and informed decisions for themselves and their families. Because let's face it, we know who's really holding down the fort. I'm Jen Amos, a Gold Star daughter, veteran spouse, and your host for a Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Let's get started. to another episode of Holding Down the Fort. I am your co-host and award-winning podcaster, Jen Amos. And today I also have with me my amazing co-host, Jenny Lynn Stroop. Jenny Lynn, welcome back.
1: Hey, thanks. Glad to be here today. Yes, we're so happy to
0: have you as always. And at the time of this recording, we just came back from Thanksgiving. So I thought I'd ask, how was the holiday weekend for you?
1: (laughs) Oh, it was delightful. I had four straight days off work. Mm. Just the four of us at my house, we bought a pre-cooked turkey from Whole Foods. Shout out to pre-cooked food, (laughs) made a few sides and hung out and then got all our Christmas decorations up and just had a really nice, relaxing weekend. It was great. Uh, That sounds well-deserved for you, considering how busy
0: you are. So I'm happy to hear that you really thoroughly enjoyed your holiday weekend. I did. Yeah. Well, we are excited because we already were about to just talk and talk with this guest. So let me go ahead and bring on Jerry Barnes, who is an Army vet and author of the book. I mean, author of many books, but the book we'll probably be talking about today is Combat Survivor Stories. You can learn more about the book at combatsurvivorheroes.com.
2: Jerry, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. And it's a delight to be with both you, Jen and Jenny. And I look forward to the conversation and then it's a privilege to share with you.
0: Yeah, exactly. so you know, I had an opportunity to watch your episode or interview that you did with. Totally forgot his name, so you're gonna have to remind go me what his last name Is was.
2: San Diego, also. Perfect, You got right a Phoenix. He's in the West.
0: Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it was great to hear him. And I knew just by listening to that interview that we were going to have a great conversation today. I was just saying offline as well that you just have this youthful spirit for someone in your, you know, mid-70s now. And I know that we talked a little bit how that wasn't always the case. (laughs) So first I want to start by asking you, because it sounds like you've been in media lately, what kind of compelled you to start going out there from you know, coming out of retirement to, you know, share your youthful spirit and the good work that you're up to nowadays?
2: Well, Jen, thank you for that question. I went through a voluntary military corps of cadets in Blacksburg Mm. at Virginia Tech. Boy, that's not for the faint of heart. It's like going through basic training for eight months while taking Mm. a full uh, course load in engineering subjects, statics and dynamics and calculus and all that kind of stuff while Mm -hmm. still going through basic training. So I did that voluntarily. Don't know why I did, but I did. (laughs) And so once you're through with that, it's kind of easy the last three years are easy, and the idea is to get a college degree. So I graduated from Virginia Tech in 1967 with a degree in civil engineering and a commission as an Army second lieutenant. Of course, Vietnam was raging then, mm. and I fully expected to go to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my wife had a scholarship, but it was only good in Virginia. And so I asked the Army, and the Army was just so good to me. I can't tell you how good they were. And uh, the Army asked me if uh, I would consider extending a third year, Mm
3: -hmm. and they
2: would send me somewhere in Virginia that my wife's Virginia scholarship could be honored. Well, that's somewhere. It turned out to be Norfolk, Virginia. So they sent me to Norfolk, Virginia, Mm -hmm. work with the Army Corps of Engineers in Norfolk. And I went there expecting to be there 18 months, and ended up staying 23 years. Wow. (laughs) So I had a wonderful career with the Corps there in Norfolk, Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, President Nixon was pulling troops out of Vietnam. So at one point, I was the oldest first lieutenant on the East Coast in terms of tenure. that didn't have orders to Vietnam. So I volunteered to go to Vietnam and still didn't get to go. (laughs) Wow. Anyway, I never went to Vietnam. I stayed in Norfolk with Laurie and I and got out of the Army on a Friday. The Army Corps called me back, and I worked another 21 years right there. Wow. So I was in a situation where the Army could move us at any time. And so out of the clear blue, the Army moved Laura and I out to St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed there seven years. Then they moved us some more. And I ended up, and despite my protest, I ended up in Washington at the headquarters mm-hmm. for the Army Corps of Engineers. So I had a wonderful career of 37 years. Wow. And then there's a cooling off period mm-hmm. where you have to stay out for a year. I stayed out a year and three days. And then went back and worked for the Corps and the Army, Secretary of the Army, for five more years. Mm -hmm. So we ended up traveling all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so in the midst of that, it's hard not to, and I was involved in congressional and media relationships my entire 40-year career. Mm -hmm. So I never designed anything. I was trained to, but ended up being involved in media and a number of TV interviews, that kind of stuff, newspapers. Mm -hmm. Virginian pilot, they interviewed me a number of times. Bruce Rader. I'm Mm -hmm. Channel 10 in the Virginia Beach area. He interviewed me several times. He would call me and say, Jerry, I need 15 seconds. I said, what do you want me to talk about? He (laughs) said, whatever you want to talk about, I just need 15 seconds, and I'm on my way. Mm -hmm. So I had that kind of relationship with the media. They never embarrassed me, and it was a wonderful career. It's it's kind of natural at the end of that career, been everywhere and met lots of wonderful people, Mm -hmm. that I would gravitate to something media-related in retirement. Mm-hmm. So when I retired, I wrote a book that uh, and everybody thinks, you know, your life is worthy of a book. I no different. I wrote a book. And that book led me to a literary agent who's 87 years old and been in the business for almost 50 years. And I met him in a chance meeting and he asked me, mm-hmm. are you a veteran? Yes, sir. He says, write me three stories of veterans in near-death combat survival. He says, sort of like a Reader's Digest story, somewhere between 1,000 3,000 words so I wrote those three stories the first story of which is called the ambush it's mm-hmm. in our first book it's a story of three green berets that are trapped in a mobile crossfire ambush between al-qaeda that's blocking the highway with ak-47s pointed at them and a second car pulling up beside him and he says and I knew then right then he says lord if this is the end make it quick because this is this is bad <laughs> And uh, so the story is about how they dealt with that. Mm. And uh, that story, the ambush, uh, got me a publishing contract. So, Jen, here I can't write. I'm an engineer. All I know how to do is talk. And I meet a (laughs) literary agent who tells me to write a book. I wrote the story. My wife, she says, you write so bad. She says, let me edit it. She edits it. And wouldn't you know that very first story got me a publishing contract. Wow. I read a literary He led me to a publisher. The publisher, she's my friend in Plymouth, Massachusetts, Deb Haggerty. And Deb's a wonderful lady. Owns a publishing company. And she says, okay, Mr. Hotshot, you did it backwards. She says, you're supposed to get a publishing agent, a literary agent, and they find you a publisher. You've got a publisher now. Go find yourself a literary agent. (laughs) So anyway, I got a literary agent, too. And that's how I got started. So my Mm -hmm. first book was published, and it was published about two years ago. And so in this business of writing these stories, word kind of gets around when you Mm -hmm. podcast and when you blog and that kind of stuff. So I've literally, as I've spoken some, I'll sell a few books. Like the Virginia Beach Aviation Museum, they've Mm -hmm. kind of adopted us. And they said, when the virus breaks, you can come down and sell some books. And that's golden for me because I'll sell a few books. Well, what's so golden is veterans will walk up to me and said, well, I've got a story you might want to hear. That's right. And so that's how mm. I've gotten so many stories. I've written mm. now 62 or three stories. Mm. The second book will be published in about eight weeks, and mm. it'll be called Angels on the Battlefield. And one of the stories in that book is about a little boy who was brought to a combat outpost that I told mm-hmm. you about. The story's called The Champ.
3: Mm-hmm. and
2: hmm he had been scalded by a pot of hot water. So here are these two tough combat medics dealing with a five-year-old boy that has been burned. And so that story is there, and I got pictures of it. But anyway, those stories are kind of (laughs) never-ending. Then I get one, that leads to another. I have a number of combat stories that I can talk about also. But that's where I got started. And I can go on and on and on. I'm 75. I can't believe I'm 75. Probably (laughs) busy writing the third book, the fourth book. I can see the fifth book. I had a buddy from Virginia Beach who lives in Virginia Beach where you do. Mm -hmm. He said, well, Jerry, I wouldn't mind helping you do an entire book of special operations Mm. and Green Berets and special operations. Mm -hmm. And I says, okay, well, that's probably book five. So I don't know how long I'm going to do this. I am going to retire sooner or later.
0: (laughs) What is that, anyway? I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit because Jenny Lynn got extremely excited to hear that you went to Virginia Tech. So, Jenny Lynn, I thought I'd get your thoughts here.
1: <laughs> I know. You saw me jump up and down. First, let's go Hokies. I am yeah. also a Virginia Tech grad. Yes. I was well, so excited. Like
2: never or something, remember, <laughs> There's many schools out there, wonderful schools. I've met just wonderful people. But Tech's such a great school. And I hate to admit this, but I also... I root for University of Virginia, except when they play Virginia Tech. So, uh,
1: yeah, I think it's a strong state allegiance thing. I too have to say. Sometimes I root for UVA as long as they're not playing Virginia Tech. That's but exactly right. I was gonna say I knew I liked you, and then you announced <laughs> that you went to Tech, and I was like, oh man, this is amazing. This so is a real guy here. <laughs> what can I say? He's a hokey. I mean you sold me with the accent first, but you really sold me with the Virginia Tech.
2: Thing, well I've always so. talked like this, honey. I can't help myself. This is uh, just it. Hey. This is it. If I, get you don't it. Want this, I don't know what to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no, I totally understand. Everywhere we've ever moved, I'm like, I'm from the South. And they're like, No kidding. We yeah. got that on your first you syllable. I
2: mean? Yeah. I got lots of ribbon from the Midwest when I was in St. Louis. You talk funny. I said, <laughs> That's not the least of it, buddy. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know just like this and that's just the way life is
0: yeah absolutely well yeah thank you for giving us a little backstory on your service and really what led you to where you are today at 75 looking healthy too and living through the covid <laughs> pandemic time right now and we you know, had covid,
2: you had right COVID. In head, we both virus. Oh. it was okay. nasty okay and we wow. are very caught mm-hmm. i think I had to have an operation on my throat because I lost my voice. I had a throat surgery and had cancer in my throat and Mm -hmm. was directed. That's why my heart's very fond for UVA. A doctor at UVA basically Mm -hmm. saved my life. Because uh, what he did was he took the tumor out and rebuilt my throat and restored my voice. Mm. I lost my voice when I had throat surgery. He rebuilt my voice. So what you're hearing today is, as a result of the marvels of surgery at University of Virginia mm. and plastic that rebuilt my vocal nerve, left vocal nerve. And so I'm back, I can talk, I can actually sing again. I sang bass in a tech group uh, called mm-hmm. The Tech Men, 120 men, that and I sang with them.
3: Mm-hmm. So in
2: addition to everything else, I was doing that too. But wow. uh, sooner or later, though, you realize when you're going to college, the idea is to graduate. So I finally <laughs> I, I retired from my singing career and decided to study <laughs> the last two years. That's how I was able to get
0: my degree. There you go. Well, we're so glad that you survived COVID and so much that you're here today to, you know, not just tell your story and chat with us, but really amplify other people's stories, particularly our combat survivors. And so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your book now, Jerry, Combat Survivor Stories. Tell us a little bit about how this, I mean, I know that you originally you were asked to write three stories, and then that led you to getting a publisher and, and getting your own book done. But tell us the history about Comeback Survivor Stories, how it started, and how you were able to collect all these stories.
2: <laughs> well, when I took the Oath of Enlistment, and I'm a person of faith, but I don't emphasize that, but mm-hmm. I wrote the first book, which is entitled When Heaven Visits. And mm-hmm. that was the only request that Les made of me. He said, would you let me title the first book? Mm -hmm. And so I did. So when I took the oath of enlistment, the last four words of the oath of enlistment are, when you raise your right hand, so help me God. So I mentioned that to veterans. Don't make faith a litmus test at all. But about a fourth of the veterans that gave me their stories, 24 stories in this first book right here, about a fourth of them would mention faith or something had happened. One -hmm. of them, of course, was the ambush. When Ryan just cried out, Lord, if this is the end, please make it quick. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. that ultimately is his story. That's what got me the publishing contract. And so I won't spoil that story except to tell you there was death and gore involved in the story. And it mm-hmm. was very, very tragic. But Ryan lived through it. And so yeah. and his buddy, he and both his buddies were gravely wounded. But anyway... One of the other stories in the book came from a Roanoke policeman Mm -hmm. named Chris. And Chris was caught when a suicide bomber came near their Humvee, and they were on a patrol, and he detonated right beside the vehicle. Well, that trapped Chris in the turret of a Hummer, armed Hummer. And he said, Jerry, he says, I had a grenade belt around me. The vehicle was on fire. My right arm had a severed artery. I had a piece of shrapnel penetrating my right part of my skull, he said, and I knew I was going to die right there, right in the middle of the fire. Mm. And he said, and I just cried out, he says, this is the end. He says, and a voice spoke audibly to me. Mm. I looked around, there's nobody around. Mm-hmm. And he says, I argued with the voice. The voice says, get out now. He
1: mm-hmm. says, and
2: I couldn't find my way out. The voice said, look to your left. He said, I looked to my left. He says, and there was an opening behind the back seat, behind the front seat of the vehicle and the back seat that I was strapped in. The boy the boy said, get out there. He says, and I was struggling to get out. My buddies pulled me out of the vehicle, and I'll stop right there except to tell you that Chris lived and to tell me that story, which is so compelling. Yeah. So that's one of the stories that's in the book also. And then there's other stories of people like uh, – I, ran, I met a fellow in Farmville, Virginia one day in a Wendy's restaurant. And if there ever was a character in this world, that guy's a character. And his name is Shane. And I'll just leave it right there to tell you that Shane walked in. And he and I just had a chance meeting that lasted two hours. Mm-hmm. Lars said, are we ever going to go home? <laughs> and my wife said, right. I said, yeah. I said, but I've got to come back and find this character and mm-hmm. listen to him. He tells a story. He was uh, 17 years old. He got in trouble. He was put in jail. And he says, so the next morning, he's standing in front of a judge. And the judge says, uh, you sound like somebody ought to be in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I've always wanted to be in the Marine Corps. And the judge says, I think I can help you out with that. He says, uh, would your father sign the papers for you to go to the Marine Corps? Well, I guess he would. He says, so he called his dad. He says, of course, I'll sign the papers. The rink would be good for this boy. Mm-hmm. He said, so I went straight from a jail in Romney, West Virginia, to Paris Island. And he said, and so his story is about what happened to him. He was mm-hmm. involved in a nighttime ambush where the Viet Cong attacked his little outpost. He says, and there were about 40 of us, and a battalion-sized unit of Viet Cong attacked their outpost. Mm-hmm. He says, and what happened? He says, Jerry... I killed people until he was unmercifully, he said, that's where the demons visited him and talking about that story yeah. and, and defending Liberty Bridge. So there's another story. But then his son fought in the Battle of Fallujah. And you may recall in the Battle of Fallujah, there were four Blackwater contractors who went on a human aid mission to deliver food to a people starting in Fallujah, Iraq. And they were attacked by bad guys. And they were all killed, and their four bodies were hung on a bridge Mm -hmm. outside of Fallujah. Mm
1: -hmm. That's when
2: the Marines said, this can't stand. And so they developed the strategy to uh, take the Battle of Fallujah, then Mm -hmm. take Fallujah, one block at a time, one house at a time. And his son fought in that battle. Wow. So there's another one of the stories at the end of the first book. So when the first book is published, and then I had leads, so I'm into the second book. And Mm -hmm. so... People bring you stories. And so uh, the stories in the second book, I had a fellow call me and asked me to meet him. He's from Fredericksburg, Virginia. And it turns out he was a pilot of a B-1B bomber. And wow. he gave me a story. So the third book is going to be called Stories from the Bone, which wow. are uh, stories of things happen in the cockpit of planes that nobody know about. Mm-hmm. And these are stories of things that happen when you, they lost an engine. And the engine's on fire. Mm -hmm. You're sitting on top of 11,000 pounds of fuel. And you're afraid the fire's going to get to the fuel. What do you do? Yeah. So that's the third book will be about stories from the bone. Just amazing things that that happened. And and then the fourth book, as things would happen, a buddy of mine I hadn't seen in 55 years, he saw me on social media, LinkedIn, called me. We talked for two hours. And he says, well, Jerry... He says, I've got some friends I have coffee with pretty much every week, World War II veterans still Mm. living. Mm. And so he led me to four World War II veterans that have all four of them given me their stories. That'll be in book four. And so these are talking about heroes. One of the other stories, uh, that second book will be called Angels on the Battlefield. That'll feature the champ because combat medics, they just bring healing to people in combat situations. So that's why I named it that. When I published the first book, I spoke at a a veterans meeting here in Roanoke. And I Mm -hmm. had a lady contact me from that meeting. She says, uh, would you consider writing my father's memoirs and then published Mm -hmm. in your book? And I says, well, let me look at it. And so what she had was he became, he went ashore in the second wave at D-Day. And D-Day, I cannot describe how bad D-Day was, but just get a picture. In D-Day, the story of Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. D-Day was about three times worse than the, those first fifteen minutes of Saving wow. Private Ryan. That's how bad it was.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
2: she gave me. She had about a hundred. He had PTSD. Visited him after he had come home. Successful career. Became wealthy. Home builder owned lots of companies and when he sold it all sitting at home and he had plenty of money nothing to, the, the demons of ptsd started visiting him
3: mm. and
2: so the doctors at the va were wonderful to him and they said marvin why don't you write down everything you can recall and she says jerry my dad wrote over a hundred long yellow pages of his memories of d-day mm-hmm. and so six of his stories i end the second book Mm -hmm. Six of those stories. The first of those stories is approaching D Day. Yeah, what happened? And then he tells his story. He was wounded four times, and the Battle of the Mm -hmm. Bulge. He's on his hospital bed in England, begging them to send him back. I've been wounded four times, and uh, the doctor said, "Mr. Young, Corporal Young, the war is over for you." And so he came home and became a very successful homebuilders I said but he wrote his stories and those four six stories I end up the book with those six stories so that's yeah. the ending of book two so wow. I can go on and on with these darling.
0: yeah let's <laughs> we'll, we'll take a quick pause here and I have something I want to add but I thought I'd ask Jenny Lynn first if there's anything you wanted to add
1: oh man yeah i'm tearing up over here you know there's nothing i love more than a good story Mm -hmm. being a writer myself and you know being a big proponent of getting military military family stories out there this is right right up my alley so jerry thank you
2: it's my privilege for sharing and to just keep talking about them Absolutely.
0: You know, obviously we can hear you share all these stories all day. And if anything, it's like you might as well just get the book while you're at it. But I just love your passion for telling these stories because Holding Down the Forts, our podcast show, is about amplifying our stories in the military community, especially for our show, for military families and spouses, because we kind of believe they are the unsung heroes, you know. And so I want to talk more about the topic of storytelling, because there's a certain community, if not a, a large community or a large majority in our military community where they kind of keep their story to their chest. Like, you know, if they've gone through some form of trauma or PTSD or what have you, it's like, they don't want to share their story, but In this entire time that you've been sharing, I've been so inspired and also like your energy too, the way that you tell the stories. It's like, oh, like it's so awesome to be affiliated with the military, but we don't know that and we can't honor those stories unless we don't tell them. So tell us a little bit. You said you're already working on your fourth book. Why is it so important for our community to tell our stories?
2: There's probably, and I'm just guessing now, somewhere between 20 and 30 million veterans, former veterans, families of veterans, siblings of veterans in this country. Mm-hmm. That's a fairly small number in comparison to the population of the US. Yeah. So a great many people don't know the blood sacrifices that have been made to secure our freedom. They don't know. yeah. And because they don't know, there's not the awareness <laughs> of the ultimate sacrifices many have made and the personal and human and physical sacrifices that many others have made and how many families have gone through suffering. Those memories linger from lost and injured loved ones. Yeah. And so telling these stories in this short story format allows us to capture those sacrifices and bring them to the printed page. Mm-hmm. So let me do a plug here before yeah. I go on. My website is called Combat Survivor heroes.com. Anybody that is listening to this podcast, go Google that and look on that website. One of the things that Laurie and I have been well cared for financially, we don't need the money, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. When the houses are paid for and the cars are paid for and your credit (laughs) cards are all paid for and you can go on a vacation whenever you want to, what do you do with your life? And what we're choosing to do is Give back. So what we decided to wow. do with the books that we sell, and we're selling a few books. So when you sell the books, the goal here is to build a platform of email addresses of people that want to follow me. And when I do that, when I get to four, five, six thousand emails, I'll be able to sell enough books on the margin of the book to more than pay for my expenses of writing this book. And what we've decided to do is, we give all of our proceeds. I mean, I know I could sell and buy a new car. So, so what? I don't need another new car. And mm-hmm. so, so what we've decided to do is give the proceeds away to two veteran nonprofits. Wow. One of them is called New Freedom Farm in Buchanan, Virginia.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And Lois Dawn Keith, that runs that farm, is a Navy veteran herself. She was a psychologist and a nurse and been through some pretty nasty stuff herself, being a Navy veteran. And she started that farm, which uses rescue animals. Some of them rescue horses, Hmm. rescued from the slaughterhouse. And she matches them with veterans who come to the farm and somewhere in the middle of veterans taking rescue animals, getting their, their hooves shaved Giving him a horse hadn't had a bath in five years, mm-hmm. given the horse a bath, somewhere the veteran rescues the horse and the horse rescues the veteran. Yeah. And so wow. we're donating proceeds to do Freedom Farm. The second uh, nonprofit that we donate to is called Frame Family Readiness and Military Ease. That group that I've been involved in that board here for five or six years. We have veterans that are, many of them homeless, some of them homeless by choice, Mm. some of them homeless by drug addiction, alcohol addiction, who knows. Mm -hmm. But we try to do what we can to help them, particularly winter clothing and clothes, try to help them. Families, somebody's gone, they've been abandoned, car won't start, water and dryer won't work. We try to help them out financially. So that's what we're doing. We're giving the money away that we can sell the book. And that's... Just the purpose, try to do what we can to help people. And then build awareness of the sacrifices of military people. See, we're an all-volunteer force. Yeah. And so we yeah. try to do what we can to help other people. And that's what it's about. That's what I decided to do. So if I'm going to do this, be dedicated to it, then I'm going to do it and have a lasting legacy. So telling the stories and using proceeds to help veterans is what, what I'm trying to do.
0: I'm curious to know what kind of feedback have you received so far from our civilian counterparts, you know, the ones who have read your book, and maybe this is the first time they're really hearing about
2: the military story? Well, I haven't had a negative feedback. Now, I've had some people just basically, they get involved in the excitement of the story, Mm. which is like 20% of the story, the Mm -hmm. sacrifice of the story is what I want people to see. And that's can yeah. people, men and women, like I have combat veteran women that are in our books. yeah. And then the men and the women, when people volunteer to serve this great country, then you can obviously see how it's a heartbreak for me to see people complain about all the shortcomings of the country. Mm. But I know that heroes have volunteered to preserve these great freedoms. Are there problems in our country? Of course. Mm -hmm. Are those problems fixable, in my opinion? Absolutely. There has to be some coming together and resolving our differences. But it comes right down. The backbone of this whole country is based on the sacrifice of people who have struggled, been injured, given their lives to preserve these freedoms. It's worthy of sacrificing for, it's worthy of defending, and it's worthy of doing what I can with the years that I've got left to do what I can. And so that's yeah. why I'm doing it. And I'm yeah. doing it and it's very gratifying to do it.
0: Yeah. I could definitely tell you're enjoying what you're doing.
2: I'm <laughs> enjoying what I'm doing. It's kind of Like I know that, you know, I know I can do consulting work. I mean, I've been all over the world doing consulting work, mm-hmm. but how much money do you need? Okay. Mm. And at what point do you decide to do something useful with your life? And when I saw this and my 90 year old literary agent friend, Said, "Okay, you're a youngster to me. Keep going. <laughs> so that's how we got started, and we'll keep on doing it."
0: That's great to add perspective when you know you're thinking, "Oh, I'm seventy-five. I'm old." And then you have a ninety-year-old be like, "Hey, a you're." a
2: old literary agent. If I call him right now, Leslie, call me back.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it so much, Jerry. Jenny Lynn just thought wanted to check in, see if you had any thoughts.
1: Oh man, I have so many thoughts. Most of the makers leak out of my eyes. I'm good. I'm just enjoying listening to all the. I'm enjoying listening to all the stories. uh, I'll
2: tell you what. I don't know what you got planned, and I'm just going to give you a commercial when (laughs) when we publish the second book. Why don't we just uh, schedule and I'll just read one or two stories at a future podcast if you'll have me back. You may say I don't want anything else to do with this guy, but. You may want to invite me back for podcast number seventy-one. And I'll just bring a couple of stories.
0: So, yeah, I was I was going to say I could definitely see you have like a audio version of your books with you reading it because you just have this spirit and passion for these stories, you know. So yeah. just just a thought I would throw out there for you.
2: Well, you know, I've been busy writing, but I do think that probably now that the doctors rebuilt my voice, you can hear me. I used to whisper, yeah, but talking, you you can hear me. Uh, I do think I can add a little bit of flavor and color and just read these stories. And so, every story, somewhere between thousand, three thousand words, and I read them, and on to the next story. And that's what we do. Yeah. uh, So I do think that's a possibility. I just haven't pursued it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but You'll yeah, I definitely I definitely think I would love for you and this is being recorded, so I mean what I say, you know, it would be great for you to read one or two very relevant stories from your book and we can have that as kind of an additional thing we add to the show, you know, for people to learn more about it. But just like what I think what we all have in common here is that storytelling, our stories, our military stories are extremely important to share, you know, not just I think for our own self-healing, because I know you mentioned in your other interview with Russ, Russ Johns, that it takes a lot for combat survivors sometimes to share their stories. When it comes to sharing stories, it is a form of self-healing, I think for the individual. And also it's gratifying for someone such as yourself to be in the position to amplify those stories and then for the community, you know, to be inspired. And so we're just all about it here. We love it. And I'm just so glad that you reached out to be a part of our show because, you know, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for us. And another affirmation that telling our stories is extremely important and needed. Sure.
2: Sure. So, uh, you know, as you run into other people, you think, that you could would be interested in me being up on their podcast or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that would help me spread the word. And so just send those folks to me. And when you're ready for me to read a story or two, I got sixty of them I can draw from.
3: Yeah. So talk
2: about which ones you'd wanna hear. And we can go from there. I would suggest maybe that you let me read maybe one of the stories of the D Day guy
0: yeah well hey we'll we'll definitely talk about those uh, those
2: possibilities then we can do some more contemporary things like something that happened in Iraq and yeah I said I will close with this one of my high school classmates Mm -hmm. back in Dinwiddie County in Virginia I've seen Doug many times Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: I happened to see him about uh, six months ago
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and uh, we were visiting after church one Sunday and his wife said, we were classmates in high school, they were high school sweethearts. And she looked at and she was standing there talking to me. And, and, uh, and she looked at Doug and she says, Doug, he hadn't talked for 50 years. He certainly wow. didn't had not talked. His mind and his mouth were clammed up. And she wow. said these words, she's in bad health now with, with kidney problems. And she says, Doug, you really do need to tell your stories. Yeah. And then here's what she said that opened his mind and his mouth. She says, don't you think the children and the grandchildren need to know what Papa did in the war? You haven't mm-hmm. talked for 50 years. Don't you think you ought to tell Jerry your stories? And something triggered in his mind, and he said, "Yes, I do." And
0: mm-hmm. so
2: I sat in with him and his story is in book 2. It's called wow. Humble Hero.
0: Man, you're dropping so many teasers <laughs> for this yeah, book. It's called here. Humble
2: Hero. <laughs> I love word. it. And then I'll close with this and not know whether you recorded or not. The fellow from uh, Fredericksburg called me. And when he was too old to fly the Mm B-1B, he volunteered to be an attaché. Mm -hmm. So an Air Force colonel became an attaché to the ambassador of Pakistan. Mm -hmm. So he's in Pakistan. And this is voluntary duty. So he flies. What an attaché does, they make them Air Force colonels, they're pilots. They fly for the ambassador. So they have a little C-12, four-seater Prop plane, they fly for the uh, U.S. ambassador. Well, these people become very valuable in the neighborhood relationships. Mm-hmm. So he's visiting with an ambassador, I mean, with a with a Pakistani major in his home who is in a Sikh temple. He has a, a room in the front of his home. He says, we're just sitting there one night. I'm in Pakistani garb. I learned Passable Urdu, and four armed terrorists walk in. Well, Mm. Sama bin Laden was killed 25 miles from this man's home. Oh, my goodness. Mm. These four guys come in, took their weapons off, put them down on the floor, sat down cross-legged, and started praying for about 10 minutes. I looked over my pen and whispered, Sama's people? And the guy nodded his head and walked out. So he didn't know, and one of these terrorists was a very prominent leader for Osama bin Laden. Turns out he was the right-hand person, al-Sakhari. He was a a lieutenant still alive. The U.S. has got a bounty on his head. He said, and I sat Mm -hmm. next to him for 15 minutes. And he was, here I am, an Air Force Colonel. He sat next to me. So that's one of the stories called imminent danger that's in book two. You may Mm -hmm. want me to read that. he says, Jerry, he says, then I wondered, should I leave the house? What if they connect the dots that I was a U.S., you know, an, an American? What are mm-hmm. they going to do? They, He said, well, they wouldn't attack you in my house. He said, it'll be somewhere after you leave. Oh, gosh. Said, so the oh, rest of the story is what happened.
0: Oh, man. Oh, Jerry, such a tease. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I feel like I have to ask because our show really is for our military spouses today and families. Any thoughts on your wife and her experiences with you and and just your family with the military life in general? Anything you want to share about that to our listeners?
2: Well, let me let you know that uh, more than the serviceman serves, Mm -hmm. the wife, it becomes like a team effort in Mm -hmm. serving. So the wives that are involved, a lot of times there's movement involved, and so you have to pick up and move. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they have just become part of it. And so the way that she immersed herself in my career, and she had a career too. She went to Virginia Tech, Mm, and she and she did. I asked her to marry me when she was nineteen. She was a sophomore at Virginia Tech. She told me, "No, I'm too young." And so we just kept dating and then eventually got married, but she still hadn't graduated. So here I had orders to go in the Army and she had married a guy who was going in the Army. She's from Christiansburg, Virginia. Mm -hmm. She says, Well, I want to graduate. And her father asked me, She's, Make sure Sis gets her degree. Mm -hmm. Sis, if you're going to marry this Army guy, make sure you get your degree. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I ended up in Norfolk, Virginia. She got her degree from Old Dominion in accounting. And she had a career. Beautiful. So we've made sure that she had got her career. Mm. And so she blended her career and some amazing people that watched out for her. When the Army sent us from Norfolk, she was working for Chartway Credit Union in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Some wonderful people that that knew about that and knew what, that I was moving to St. Louis. She ended up, people with uh, the... Uh, Department of Commerce that she was working for as an auditor Mm -hmm. found a slot for her so that when I moved to St. Louis, she was able to continue her career. So people looked out for her career when we moved to St. Louis. And then when we moved on to Cincinnati, it happened again. So she had developed a little bit of contacts. So she was able to maintain her job. So wives or spouses, sometimes the husbands of military wives that are service people, they have careers too. Mm-hmm. So it just worked out that her career was able to, to finish, and she became, if you would, an auditor for the Department of uh, Agriculture and a Chase fraud, food stamp fraud. Mm. So neat stuff that she did in her career. Yeah, that's so. amazing. So we can write stories about all the things that she did.
0: I was going to say, like, have, like, I can imagine another book really just about the stories of military spouses or wives, you know, and their experiences. And I mean, I think it's such a rarity to hear that, you know, someone such as your wife was able to maintain her career because, you know, and Jenny Lynn knows this firsthand. She's like nodding. It's it's difficult. You know, our spouses are highly educated and underemployed. And so it's just great to hear that, you know, with the connections and everything and that you even accommodated her, you wanted to make sure because of her dad's request. (laughs) I
2: promised her dad. I told her dad, I says I'll make sure she graduates. Yeah. And so it took a little bit of sacrifice, but if you want to do something in life, you can do it. You just have to work at it Mm. a little
0: bit. Beautiful. Well, on that note, Jerry. Wow, what a amazing conversation today. I don't think this will be our last one. Jenny Lynn thought I would check in with you one last
1: time before we go. Well, I think you just teed him up well for book six, Heroes on the Home Front." <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, stories of military spouses yeah. and all the following around that happens.
2: So i got to figure out how to write. If I'm going to write all the rest of these books.
1: You have a lot of work so to I do, Jerry. That, all right. I was going to say, pencil to paper as soon as we hit, hit end on this. <laughs> all right. <Great> to talk <laughs> no, just thank you again for sharing the stories and for, you know, being attuned to a population that really often does get quite overlooked in the amount of sacrifice and service they offer yeah. um so thank you for sharing those and also for recognizing how much your wife did in service of your oh, yeah. career yeah like jen mentioned i'm a i, I could couldn't
2: balance you know. a checkbook if i had to and so she just knows it. what to do i don't know what to say <laughs> yeah yeah i i know
1: that feeling well i'm the check balancer at our house too so <laughs>
0: I love this so much. Yeah. This is amazing. I feel like Virginia really represented today. So um. I mean,
1: he's speaking <laughs> my language. All those places he mentioned, I have been. I have friends in. I also graduated from Old Dominion. Mm-hmm. So go Monarchs. Yes. My
2: daughter, she graduated from Old Dominion. Now she's a smart one. When she graduated Old Dominion, her last two semesters, she had two four points. And she's a mother raising a, a child and got a four mm-hmm. point at Old Dominion. Wow where did these brains come from? <laughs> so then I figured that it might've been for my wife. You reckon? <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Well, wow, Jerry, this is a, I want to thank you again for being on our show and just having a big heart for amplifying our stories. I'm really just excited to continue to follow your journey and see these upcoming books that come out. And of course, for our listeners, if they want to learn more about the combat survivor stories, they can visit combat com. So Jerry, again, thank you so much for being here. We really thank appreciate
2: you, Jen. you. Thank you, Jenny. Lin. It's great to meet both of you. Look forward to the opportunities to perhaps to share with one or both of you in the future. And so have a great day. Sure. Thank
0: Absolutely. you. You as Best well. Awesome. And with that said to our listeners, we hope that today's episode gave you one more piece of knowledge, resource, a relevant story so that you can continue to make confident and informed decisions for you and your family. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time.